reading this evening is from Luke chapter 15, and uh, on the Church Bibles, that's on page 1048. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Thanks, Chris. Uh, my name is Stephen Dimitri. I'm the youth minister here at Bishop Paynton Church. Lovely to see you all here. And it may surprise you, but when I was in secondary school, me and my friends were super cool. Like, super cool. And, and, and because we were so cool, I think, people were jealous of us, jealous of our coolness, and so they used to tease us and make fun of us. That's kind of what we put it down to. And so one of those days, we were sitting there in our really cool huddle and circle, chatting about cool things, um, and these guys are kind of walking past, and one of them says to us, Oh, look, it's the circle of friends, way Meant as a biting, cutting insult to wound us deeply. But we loved it. And we started calling ourselves Cough, the circle of friends. We even, because we were so cool, had a little cough hands in thing. Yeah, circle of friends. The, the insult used against us became our identity. We were cough. Genuinely. Um, and something, something similar is happening to Jesus in, in Luke's gospel today. Because we're back into Luke, um, and throughout Luke, Jesus had these like clashes with the religious elite of the day. And so we're not that surprised when today, yet again, they're riled up and angry. And this time, it's the company that Jesus keeps that, that kind of gets them going, that grates their go. Have a look at um, chapter 15, verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus. Uh, actually, if we look back at the end of chapter 14, it says, um, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So these sinners and tax collectors are doing the right thing. They're gathering around to hear about Jesus, but they're tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors, the hated people in league with the enemies of God's people. They weren't popular. And sinners, oh, everyone knows they're dodgy. You don't talk to them. Nefarious, wicked people. It's no wonder that this like motley assortment of misfits and mess-ups like rile up the Pharisees so much so they mutter to themselves, verse 2, 
This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. A religious leader eating with these guys. <sighs> and actually, um, that word mutter is probably better translated grumbling. They're grumbling, uh, which is one of the ancient sins of God's people. They grumbled their way through the wilderness in Exodus and Numbers. And I think Luke is making the point that these Pharisees teach to the law. They're just like unbelieving Israel, grumbling against the work of God. But Dale Ralph Davis, he said, their grumbling is our gospel. Isn't that beautiful? Their grumbling is our gospel. The very insult used to wound Jesus is actually, well, that's his mission statement. That is what he's all about. He is, he is the one who's come to welcome sinners and eat with them. He's the one who cares about the outcasts. That's our Jesus. Cough all over again. I told you. And this is so beautiful and brilliant. Like, um... Some Bible reading notes, the Daily Bread, they tell the story of Edith a few years ago, true story. Um, Edith wasn't a Christian, she didn't like care about the things of God or Jesus, and, and yet she had this niggle in her heart, um, like niggle to go and do something about it. So she kind of went to a local church, the nearest one to her, to satisfy that itch, and she's sitting there. And in this church, they, they use the authorized, like the really old version of the Bible. And the text is Luke 15, verse 1 and 2. And the preacher gets up and starts reading, uh, reading verse 2. And he, he reads this. This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And Edith's sitting there. And here's what she hears. This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And she like sits bolt upright. She's like, whoa, whoa, me? God cares about me? He wants to welcome me in? And that's the start of her journey to faith. Isn't that cool? But, but isn't that so true as well? Not just about Edith, but about every single one of us. This man, Jesus, receives sinners and welcomes Edith with them. Stevens with them. Phil Moons with them. Lizzie Demetria. Whatever your name, whoever you are, it fits there in verse 2. Jesus receives you and welcomes you. That's his MO. That's what he's about. And so he tells these beautiful, these magnificent parables, three of them, that just show the heart of God for the lost uh, and the answer the Pharisees grumbles and complaints about him. And the first two we're going to look at today, well, the big headline is the lost will be found and heaven will rejoice. That's kind of where we're going. That's what they're all about. Because both of them, they start with loss, don't they? Have a little look at verse 4. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Verse 8, the second parable. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one of them. Jesus is drawing out all the right notes here because that is a, such a common experience, right? We all are like feeling for these, that the farmer and the woman were going, oh no, we know what it's like to lose something. In fact, um, while writing the sermon, Lizzie lost a pair of earrings, my wife. Like really nice, lovely hooped earrings. And so our house was that classic like um, 
panics, lostness. You know how it is? When you start searching all the random places, the drawers you've never opened, and you start going, going just a bit crazy, and you start thinking, oh, I know. I wore my earrings when I was getting bread out of the freezer. Let's check the freezer drawers. You know, you start doing that stuff because losing something, it leaves you kind of restless. It feels horrible. And yet Jesus' stories, they're not about lost sheep or lost coins. They're about lost people. And about a God who will not give up on lost people. Because, like, we are lost. Every single human being without God is lost because of our sin. We've kind of turned our back on God naturally. And we're going to hear more about this next week, but, but we can be lost in so many different ways. We can kind of be lost because the way we live is quite wild, and, uh, and we know it's not what God wants us to do, but we don't care. We can be lost because we don't even think about God, doesn't register on our thoughts. We can be lost because by, like little by little, we're just drifting, 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 drifting away. We can even be lost in our rule following and our obedience. But naturally, every single human being is lost without God because of sin. And maybe this past couple of years, you've really felt that lostness, like, acutely. It felt alone and isolated. Feel distant from anything spiritual. Well, these parables are for you. But, 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 but maybe we, we hear that, that we're lost and we're 21st century, 21st century Brits. We hate hearing that. We hear the word lost sheep. And rather than lost sheep, we think more Shorma sheep. Now, Shorma sheep is the greatest Wallace and Gromit character known to mankind. I mean, this guy, he does it all, right? He's creative, he's inventive, he's popular. Ah, He looks good in a jumper. Um, And he rescues the other sheep. He's he's self-sufficient. He's like, oh, what a sheep. He's so good, he's got his own TV show. With a theme tune. He's sure my sheep. He even mucks around with those who cannot. What a man! And we think we're like Sean the sheep. Self-sufficient, independent. We don't need no help. We can sort it out ourselves. We're Sean's. Yep. The trouble is, most sheep don't like this. Most sheep are like that. And that's the kind of sheep that Jesus is talking about. A regular sheep. See, human beings were not as capable or, or, or independent or self-sufficient as we think we are. We're, we're, we're more like that helpless, lost sheep. In fact, Jesus is talking about Isaiah 56 verse 3 here, uh, which says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. Without God, we humans are lost. And if you think about it, right, um, on its own, a lost coin or lost sheep stays lost. Like coins don't kind of like crawl back into your wallet, like, like grow legs and start a spider into your wallet. No, and lost sheep, well, they haven't got the homing instincts of cats. They don't return when they're lost. They stay lost. Lost coins, lost sheep stay lost. Just like us. Human beings left to our own devices, we stay lost. We're helpless. And yet, the parables Jesus tells, they don't end in lostness. 
Oh no, the lost will be found. Uh, let's take that first one, um, the, the lost sheep. Now, as soon as Jesus kind of mentions lost sheep, everybody in that circle would have had their eyes rolling going, oh, I know what he's talking about. I mean, do you guys have inside jokes? Like stuff that you say in your family that when you mention that certain word, everybody knows what's going on and you all go, oh, no. She didn't just go there. Oh, no. Right, in our family, yellow submarine. Don't mention that. <laughs> and down at KO, uh, it's the sea bass, the mighty sea bass. That's got some history. Those words have some serious weight and backstory to them. You mention them, everyone's like, oh yeah, I know where you're going. And Jesus mentioning lost sheep. Everyone knows where he's going. He's talking about Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34 is kind of um, way back in the Old Testament where, where God, it's kind of a scathing review of the leadership of God's people. He calls them shepherds. Shepherds who have not done their job properly. Shepherds who have fed themselves and actually abused their sheep. And in Ezekiel 34 verse 4, look what God says to them. He says, you have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. And because these shepherds are doing such a terrible job... Well, 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 God says this. He makes an amazing promise. He says, um, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. He says, I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. It's good to know our Old Testaments. It makes the New Testament pop and sparkle, right? Because, wow, looking at Luke 15 with that background... Oh my, it takes on a whole other level, doesn't it? I mean, think about it, because Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and teachers of the law. And in verse 3 of Luke 15, he says, Suppose one of you, the other parables, he says, a father and a woman. But this one, this one, he wants those leaders to really feel it. Because... Well, they're supposed to be the shepherds of God's people. And as we see throughout Luke, they're not doing a good job. They're much like the Ezekiel 34 shepherds. I mean, they're supposed to care for the lost, the tax collector and sinner. They're supposed to go out of their way to find the lost. And yet they're insulting Jesus when he goes and does that very same thing. And so by telling this first parable, Jesus is kind of saying to them, guys, you are not doing your job. I'm taking over. And with that Ezekiel 34 background, it's this massive claim of divinity too. Do you see that? He's like, I'm not the good shepherd. I'm the God shepherd come to rescue and find my lost people. The lost will be found. And they'll be found by God himself. It's beautiful. And just have a look at how he does the finding. Have a look at verse 4 with me. Verse 4. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Um, <laughs> really? 
Is that what, is that what a shepherd does? Now, I'm not a farmer. And all my farming knowledge comes from Jeremy Clarkson. So, so, but, but, but even I can see that is not what you do with sheep. Yes, yes, on its own, one sheep can get lost and agitated and feel like, yeah. But you don't leave your flock in a field in the wilderness. Surely that's a field of like sitting doner kebabs just waiting to be munched, waiting to go missing, waiting to get lost. Like, what? That one lost sheep is not financially worth it. What? But, but isn't that the point? Isn't that the point? It, it, it's not about the economic value of the sheep. It's about the heart value of the sheep. That sheep is so treasured, so valued, so loved by that shepherd that, that he will go to any lengths to bring that sheep back. He'll sacrifice, he'll search, he'll trek, he'll explore, he'll, he'll, he'll go anywhere just to find that one sheep because of how much it means to him. And remember, this parable's about you and me and about Jesus. So just think of the lengths that he goes to for his lost sheep. Oh. Jesus comes down to this earth, God on earth. God comes to earth to come and find lost sheep. God comes to earth to come and find and rescue lost sheep. God comes to earth to come and find and rescue his lost sheep by dying on a cross and giving up everything so we can be home. That's how much he loves, treasures and values the lost. The lost will be found. And did you notice, it is a will, it's inevitable. I mean, look at the woman in verse 8. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Then verse 9, and when she finds it, there's no doubt there. She does not give up searching until she finds that lost coin. Very different from me and Lizzie. After losing those earrings, we gave up. We're like, allow that. Too much. One day, no, no, no. They're gone, they're gone forever. But this woman, this shepherd, they don't give up. Because Jesus doesn't give up. Because he doesn't stop searching until all of his lost coins, all of his lost sheep, all of his lost people are brought back home. None of those who are Jesus's will remain lost forever. He is the hide and seek king, the lost will be found. Um, Nancy Guthrie, a kind of writer, she, she summarizes this whole thing beautifully. Here's what she says. She says, Jesus came on a seeking and saving mission to bring back to God all of those living in rebellion and unbelief. People going their own way. And when he finds one of his lost sheep, he places that sheep on his shoulder and carries it home. That's the heart of the gospel. That's the heart Jesus has for us. The lost will be found. And imagine you're there in that circle with those tax collectors and, uh, and sinners. The ones who are on the outside. The, sin, the, the, the people who, who have been hated their whole life. And like suddenly 
They're being told of God's beating heart for them, of a God who, who relentlessly pursues them, comes to earth to find them and bring them home. Whoa! That must have been quite a moment for them, seeing their response. And I wonder what our response might be too. Because maybe we have felt that lostness over this past couple of years, like feeling far and drifting away and and wanting to change that. Well, you can. Jesus came to bring the lost home. And so if you have been feeling lost this past couple of years and you want to be found, well, come chat to, to Phil, to me, to Ben. We'd love to help you be found by Jesus. Because the lost will be found. Later on in Luke, um, Luke talks about Jesus, um, or, or Jesus talks about himself. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's what he's all about. And actually, as his people, that's what we should be about too. Like God loves the lost. So should we. God does all he can to bring the lost in. So should we. Um, this will come up over and over again, Luke. But one way of doing that, um, there's people who you might look around well, and not see them here at church. People who used to come to KO, used to be part of your small group, used to sit next to you on the same row as you every Sunday. And they're just not here. They've been drifting away and got lost. Could you reach out to them? It may have been a while, but, 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 but could you go and show God's never-ending love for them? Could you reach out and, and, and keep on going, texting, inviting them back, loving them like he does? Let's do all we can to let the lost know the God shepherds here. The lost will be found. And at that point, it seems like that's a great place to end the parables. But Jesus has more for us. Because look at the shepherd. Look what he does. Um, verse, verse 5. When he finds his sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. And then the woman in, 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 with the coin in verse 9 is the same words. Rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. Like they call a massive party. They invite their neighbors, their friends around to have a big old celebration for, for a lost coin. And a lost sheep. Anyone else think it's a bit, a bit absurd? A bit over the top? I mean, what would you do at a lost sheep party? Do you eat lamburgers? Is that kind of part and parcel of it? Um, or, or a lost coin party? Do you dress up like your favorite banknote? I mean, sh- sh- but surely, surely the cost of these lavish parties is going to be more than the value of the sheep and the coin. What? We'll have a look at verse 7 because Jesus tells us what's going on. I tell you, that in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. It's all about joy. Did you see how many times rejoice and joy got from those passages? Five times it's there. Joy, joy, rejoice, rejoice. There's massive wild celebrations. It's all about joy. The lost will be found and heaven will rejoice. And actually, 
little side note, that verse 7 is another little comment to the Pharisees. Because they think they're righteous. They think they haven't got to be found. They think they're safe with God. But Jesus is telling them, hey guys, you're as lost as everyone else. You can come home too. Uh, If you see your lostness, you can be found. And if you're found, well, heaven's going to rejoice. Because the lost will be found and heaven will rejoice. Um, My little sister, she went to Australia for for six months. And we missed her a lot, like like massively. She missed some big events. And and so like when she was planning to come home, we had an idea. We were going to throw like an epic homecoming celebration. We called it Christ May. Um, If you want to to celebrate yourself, the official date for Christmas, 25th of May. Um, And so we had this big idea, big homecoming celebration. Turkey, trimmings, tinsel, presents, games, the works. Oh my, it was special. Because Sarah was home. Our little little sister was back. It was like so lovely to celebrate and rejoice. It was amazing. And that's kind of what happens in heaven when someone becomes a Christian, when someone decides to follow Jesus, there is massive, incredible rejoicing, celebration, like partying, praising to Jesus. Like it's amazing. In fact, like it's such a big deal when someone comes to know Jesus that heaven like erupts, explodes in joy. The lost will be found and heaven will rejoice. And, well, verse 6 and verse 9, the woman and the man say, rejoice with me. That's what God says to us. Rejoice with me. And here's two ways we can do that. Well, 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 one is to rejoice at our own salvation. Rejoice that God has saved us. Like, I think we need to kind of get the wonder of Luke 15 back into our minds and our hearts. Because this is our story. We were lost sheep. And if we're trusting Jesus, we've been brought home. If we're trusting Jesus, there was massive wild celebration in heaven over our soul. Because when we're joyful about our salvation, man, that gives us strength to ride through the massive disappointments and and darknesses of this world, doesn't it? But I wonder if we take it for granted a little bit. One way you could start to change that is maybe praying each day and thanking God that he's chosen you. It should shock us and surprise us that God has come to save and find us. Because this joy from our salvation, when it trumps any present circumstances we can be going through, like found sheep can always rejoice. That's quality. Let's rediscover that joy. And singing is a great way of doing that. So we're going to sing this song later on. This is one of my favorite songs of all time. Come now, thank every blessing. And look at that second verse. Look at those words. That's our story. Rejoice at our own salvation and rejoice at the salvation of other people. We Brits, we're good at being envious, jealous, um, critical. Um, we're good at being apathetic. Let's grow joy at other people's salvation. And three little ways of thinking that through. One is testimonies. I'd love us to be like a church that shares our stories. So you could ask someone sitting next to you each week at church, like, how did you become a Christian? And celebrate together. Or in your small groups, maybe do like a, a testimony night where you go around the circle sharing your testimonies and praising and rejoicing together. 
rejoice through testimonies. Rejoice through our singing. Um, we can use our singing to rejoice at the salvation of other people. Uh, like by looking around, that's a great thing to do while we're singing, looking at other people. But, but also, don't tell Matt. Just, just, just cover your ears. I sometimes change the words of songs. I know, I know. Rather than singing me or I, I sometimes sing we or us. It's game-changing. Matt, just, yeah. It's brilliant because it reminds us that the Jesus didn't come just for me. He came for us. He came to save you. And it's beautiful. Why not try it? And lastly, uh, communion. Um, when I was first being a Christian at 17 years old, communion at my church, like, it was quite a somber experience. Everyone looked quite serious and sat down somber. And... So that's what I thought you had to do at communion. But as I've got older, I've kind of realized communion is an incredibly joyful family meal that we share together. Yes, it's communion with God, but it's also communion with each other. And so I love looking around and praying, looking around at other people. Uh, and Lizzie and I, like after taking communion, we love to pray with people sitting next to us uh, and celebrate salvation together. <laughs> Could you try that today? Like with someone sitting next to you on your row, just after taking the bread and wine, like pray with them. It's a great way to remember, to, to, to be joyful at salvation, because it is an incredible thing, an astonishing thing to be found by the God Shepherd. The lost will be found. Heaven will rejoice, and God says, rejoice with me. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have a heart for the lost. Thank you that you loved us so much that you came to earth. You came, Lord Jesus, to die on a cross, to bring us home and find us. That's astonishing. Father, stir us up with a real joy, passion, and excitement at our salvation and the salvation of others.